0: You people. I'm serious. I mean, this is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is, and we don't know who we are. That was R. C. Sproul, ladies and gentlemen, making the infamous statement. What's wrong with you people? And then followed up by what seldom few hear is that. It's the Christian church that has a problem. It's the Christian church that doesn't seem to know who God is. And I would have to agree with that statement 110 percent, because there are a great many churches today who fly under the flag of Jesus, and yet they do not teach what Jesus taught. And so today, we are going to be taking a look at a sermon, and uh, the very purpose and intent of us looking at this sermon and to examine carefully what is said is because it is the responsibility of every Christian believer. Um, Number one, I'll say this, to be a um, committed member of a local church body. And it is the responsibility of uh, the elders of a local church body to teach and to preach, to proclaim the truth about what the Scriptures teach. So therefore, simply to teach the Scriptures themselves, not to take it out of context, not to exegete into the text of Scripture something that's not there, but to exegete, to draw out of the Scripture what is there and that being said there seems to be a whole lot of false teaching even in what seems like to be some of the most solid churches around and of course as we're going to examine today we're going to see false teaching in what doesn't seem to be the most uh, the, one of the most unsound churches that I know of simply because they do not teach what the Scripture says. And you'll note in this this sermon, um, you'll hear them say that the Scripture says certain things. But what we're going to try to do is, uh, bit by bit, uh, walk through this, listen to this, let their own words testify for or against them. And then afterwards, if you will simply weigh what you hear according to the Word of God, Not only what you hear the sermon that is being reviewed, but what you hear me say, weigh what I say against the word of God. Test it. Uh, The scriptures teach us to test the spirits to see whether they be of God. And so that's what we're going to try to do here today. So let's uh, bring in the video here. And this again, this is a sermon uh, entitled Being Filled with the Holy Spirit. Um and it is evidence of power and it is uh basically about being filled with the spirit what that uh, uh it, it, in their estimation what that means what that uh entails and what that looks like as well as uh, their teachings on um the Uh, doctrine of tongues in the scriptures so let's begin let's hear what they have to say and we'll move throughout
1: so one of my my objectives is always to bring you into an encounter with the holy spirit
0: so let's stop there uh He says there, one of his objectives is always to bring you into an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Now, the scriptures tell us in John's gospel, Jesus told Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wants to blow. We uh, do not bring encounters with the Holy Spirit because we are not God.
1: If you encounter him, Everything else is going to be just fine. Now, I can get you to memorize a scripture, and that scripture is going to help you. It is the Word of God. But you must encounter the Living Word through the Holy Spirit.
0: All right. Little bites, little chunks at a time. If you will notice. And if you will listen to what has just been said, Michael Brewer, James Abbott, those at the well, those in the charismatic movement at large, will devalue and minimize the Word of God. He said plainly, I can get you to memorize scripture but until you count, encounter the living word you'll never understand it and you'll never know it it's making a they are making a distinction between the true word of god and an experience that's largely what what you're going to see in here in this in this sermon is the emphasis upon a experience outside of the scriptures.
1: I know people that can quote scripture forwards, backwards, upside down. They can tell me when I'm talking, they say, this is that scripture, and they they understand it, but lifeless, empty, dry. And when that happens, it begins to shift over into a very critical spirit of accusation and, and these things. And what it does ultimately begins to separate a person from the
0: wall with the Spirit of God. All right, so let me um, identify there um, because our charismatic friends uh, who may watch this uh, will automatically put put us in that category uh, of the critical spirit. I am not being critical for the sake of being mean-spirited I am being critical uh, because the Word of God is being mishandled, and the Word of God is being misapplied. And to put it quite bluntly, in country terms, I'm going to call a duck a duck. And in this case, I'm going to call false teaching on this false teacher.
1: When when you think about this, the early church they didn't have the what we would call the new covenant scriptures. Written, they were drawing on the old covenant scriptures.
0: That's true. Let's give let's put a positive, uh, put a mark in the positive col- column. What he said there is exactly true. The New Testament believers didn't have the New Testament as we have it today. Uh, they had the Old Testament.
1: The Holy Spirit was bringing life. So there was a continual revelation of the Holy Spirit. When we talk about the book of Acts, I want to position that book just a little bit for you. Um, Around a covenant, when God would establish a covenant with his people, around every covenant, there's what you would call a canon. So we have the new covenant established through Christ. So around the establishing of that covenant, and let's just say the birth, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. All in there call that the establishment of the covenant. We have the context of what life was like in that culture before the covenant.
0: Have... All right. So as we move forward here, let's note something very, very important. And that is this that words have meaning. And, uh, if we try to make the definition of words fluid and we do not use them properly, it does not make sense. It doesn't matter how many words are strung and connected together. What's being, what's happening here is a word salad is being tossed with a, uh, a lack of understanding what the words actually mean. So he uses the term canon. It's very important. Canon. And um, he's what he said is not what uh, is not at all what the word means. The word canon itself is a general law. It's a general law by which something is judged. Um, It's a standard of judgment. Um, So a simple way of defining that of of what a canon is, a simple way of defining that is that a canon is a measuring stick. It's the measuring stick. It's like having a tape measure and pulling out the tape measure and and measuring something and and knowing that according to the standard on the tape measure, that is the length of the board that you're measuring to cut, so on and so forth. Uh, When used in reference to the Bible, however, the canon is a reference historically the, the word canon in reference to the scriptures is a reference to the authoritative list of the books of the Holy Scripture. Now, as pointed out in the Westminster Confession of Faith, as pointed out in the London Baptist Confession of Faith, uh, the, the inspired canon of scripture is the 66 books of the Old and the New Testament, simply put right there, open and shut. The canon of Scripture itself is closed. God's not giving new revelation, nor are we taught anywhere in the Scriptures themselves that new revelation is being given. However, this is exactly what's being taught and communicated here. Um, so just that misdefinition of terms is something that's very important. When And I would encourage uh, as Christ, uh, you as Christian, as a Christian believer— uh, as a church members, for you, every time that the preacher preaches a message, um, test it according to the Scriptures. Take what you hear, hold it to the Word of God, uh, the context not only of a, of a little patch of Scriptures that may be quoted, but look at that patch of Scriptures in the larger context of the text itself, the the preceding verses in the chapter, the 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 following verses in the chapter, maybe even have to read the whole book. Uh you, and you'll find that ultimately that scripture unfolds always and is always and in agreement with itself when you go from Genesis to the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, That being said, we're going to jump just a little bit ahead, about a minute and a half ahead to the 440 mark. Let's see if we can get that. We'll go to about 434. And and here you're going to hear him uh, just describing his Pentecostal roots. And we're going to see that he contradicts His his statement, one statement after another, he is constantly contradicting himself.
1: The Holy Spirit, honestly, it is how he interacted with the people. So I'm going to take us into this message, just being filled with the Holy Spirit, as evidenced by power. Now, my roots are in Pentecostal mainline Pentecostal churches. I love them. Uh, It's my roots. So, I can talk about my roots just like it's my family. I can talk about my family. You don't get to talk about my family, but I can because I'm in it. I live it. So, I can talk about Pentecostalism and understand it well because it was most of my life growing up. But in, in the Pentecostal church, you'll hear have you spoken tongues, baptism, Holy Spirit, evidenced by speaking in tongues. I want to give you a different perspective on that.
0: So, uh, 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 the large swath of any of the teaching that comes from the, the, the this charismatic Pentecostal group is always about a new perspective. It's always a new angle. It's always a new view. Uh, some of the old timers have rightfully said this about the scriptures, that the scriptures mean what they say and that They say what they mean, that we don't have to read extra into it. Nevertheless, here he goes.
1: I'm going to say the evidence is power, because I know many powerless tongue talkers. So the actual evidence is the power. That's what we're going to go after today. I want you to experience this.
0: So the evidence of being filled with the Spirit is power. Whether or not you talk in tongues, because he said he knows plenty of powerless tongue talkers, yet he is going to connect the two here in just a little while and still try to make them, though he tried to separate them there, he's going to try to put them back together uh, in this in this jumbled up mess that we're looking at.
1: take a little bit deeper in that. About 25 years or so ago, some of our leadership people have been around. They can tell my story, but I'm going to tell it again because a lot of y'all have never heard it. I was in my bedroom. It was 2.30 in the morning. I'd worked night shift for several years, and I couldn't sleep that night. I was off, of course,
0: so I'm laying there.
1: And I'm literally on my side. I mean, I remember exactly how I was laying, where I was at. I remember laying there, unable to sleep, and I'm like, I'm just praying. I'm just talking to God. And all of a sudden, I was taken in this visionary encounter with the Lord. I roll out of my bed onto the floor, and I'm just, just praying. And a groan begins to come from deep within me. I'm praying, but I feel like I'm being pulled into this. I have language for it today. I didn't even. But this encounter with God, and the deeper I go, there's this groaning that comes forth from. Me. I was.
0: This is this is him explaining what it means to be filled with the Spirit, based upon. His experience, notice this, Christians, Christians that are watching this, notice carefully that the his his explanation of the evidence of being filled with the Spirit of God and the power of God is demonstrated and exhibited by a experience that he is having and that others have had and that if you get to be a super duper spiritual Christian that you might one day get to have. Let's listen as he as he tells further.
1: I was told, you know, when I went to people, I'm like, help me understand what happened. I was told everything from your dying to your are giving birth to you're doing all of these things. I, I know what's happening now, but at that point, I mean, Sometimes it's good to say, I don't know what it was, but I'll just pray for you. Rather than feeling the pressure of trying to give an answer to a context you have no understanding about. So I'm groaning. Next thing I know, I'm on my back and my body is curling up as I'm groaning in in the Holy Spirit. The reason I was groaning, moments before rolling out of the bed, I watched myself in this visionary (coughs) encounter speaking in tongues i never experienced that. Um, I I was watching something. I was watching myself, but yet I was up here watching myself.
0: So he said, I was watching myself, but I was up here watching myself. And he says that he's saying that "I, I was watching myself talk in tongues, although I wasn't talking in tongues.
1: I watched myself speak in tongues, but I heard God speak to me in my right ear. This is how detailed this was. He said, I am calling you to ministry. And when I heard that, as I watched myself speak in tongues, it overwhelmed me. And I fell on the floor and I began to groan deeply. This lasted about 20 minutes. So This was such an experience. My body was so sore the next day.
0: I, we'll listen for about another minute, this I got day. back
1: up on my knees because I was right religious Christian pray right on my knees. Come back up on my knees. And I said these words, I said, "God, if that experience had been speaking in tongues, I would have been okay with it. But it wasn't. And I know enough. Show me in your word what this was. Because it was an experience completely outside of my box.
0: Here's another point. If you, as a Christian, are going to the scriptures to try to find a passage of scripture to validate an experience that you're having, you're doing it backwards. Experience does not dictate the validity of Scripture, but Scripture will validate or invalidate the experiences that you're having.
1: And I heard the Lord, get up go downstairs, get your Bible, turn to John chapter 11, verse thirty-three.
0: Notice what he does. In
1: the context of that, it basically, Jesus coming to the tomb of Lazarus and, and the rich, it was said, he groaned within himself. And that's, so, I still didn't understand it, but I knew at least there was a scriptural basis for it that I wasn't getting deceived. So,
0: so to the uncareful here to the to the one who is just saying uh Claude you're being critical you shouldn't uh be saying anything about what he just said he had scripture to prove what he was uh validate what he was saying and I would argue vehemently with you and say no the scripture does not validate what he says number 1 because the scripture is talking about Jesus. Contrary to what many popular Christians will teach today, we are not Jesus. We are not little Christ's, and we are not little gods. We are human beings, sin-ridden, fallen humanity. And the only hope that we have is to trust, to hope, and to look to the grace and the mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who alone is unique. So his statement, his validation of that experience, by going to the scripture that talks about when Jesus groaned in his spirit, carries absolutely no weight
1: that began to shift my life within a couple of weeks.
0: Shift—that's a word. If you watch um, Chris Roseboro, you'll know you know that uh, when they play prophecy bingo, shift is a big charismatic word. You'll hear that shifting, uh, the shifting, the the shaking, uh, the the uh, the quaking. You'll hear all these buzz, buzzwords used.
1: I'm standing in front of a, a great church here in town. And I remember walking forward into the altar. It was just a normal Sunday night service. I was getting ready to go to work that night. I I was sitting kind of back there. I got out of the pew and I walked forward. And about the time I got on the altar, my left foot, I was taking a step. But I've yet to complete that step. As my foot was moving forward, the power and the presence of God hit me so strong. Beyond any experience I had ever had, I was pinned on the ground, and I was praying in the Spirit. I was praying in a language I had never learned before. And during this encounter, it's like this is just flowing forth from me. There was not another concern in the world as I was in awe and engulfed in His presence.
0: So he was praying in a language that he's never known before. And he was doing this because he was in awe and engulfed in his presence. So, according to the teaching of the well, the evidence of being filled with the Spirit is evidenced by experiences that when examined and held up to the scriptures themselves are typically exhibitions of demon possession as opposed to recognizing the holiness of God almighty if you if you check it out look at look at throughout the scriptures when you uh, when we read of demon possession in the scriptures, you'll hear evidences of folks lying on the ground, writhing in agony, screaming and wailing and moaning and doing all of those things. But when we see individuals in the text of scripture itself who are genuinely in the awe, in it, awestruck and in the presence of Almighty God typically can't even lift up their head from their bra- from their breasts, and if they do uh, express something verbally, it's a recognition of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man himself. So let's move on here. Uh, we're going to jump ahead to about the 11 minute and 40 second mark. See if we can get that. Let's we'll go to eleven thirty, and what we're going to see here—a uh, contradiction of terms that he makes
1: limitations in my life. So I'm going to take you into just a few scriptures if I can get through this. As I begin to share some of this, I'm believing Holy Spirit to begin to move in this world. I'm not up here giving you an intellectual uh, teaching today.
0: Let's note here as well. Uh, the, the charismatic practice uh, of the day of the last several years has been, uh, again, uh, it's it's really a grammatical issue, but um, a, a lack of a um, the preposition the, or, or the lack of the article the. I'm sorry, the article the, which makes it uh, ascribed unto. Uh, when you hear the charismatic. Uh, in the Pentecostals uh, talk about Jesus uh, talk about the Holy Spirit. they always want to leave off thee they just want to call him Holy Spirit uh, uh, they just and they they want they want to make uh, they 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 express the the name of the person of the Holy Spirit uh, in a way that's impractical and it just kind of makes it uh, makes the Holy Spirit random. Uh, Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit, is how the Scriptures describe the person of the Holy Spirit. I am
1: teaching
0: to... Notice what he says here. It's very, very important.
1: I'm not up here giving an intellectual uh, teaching today. I am teaching to activate your faith that you... Come into a
0: partial encounter with the Holy Spirit. Here we have the disconnection of the mind and the spirit, is what uh, is, is taught in these circles very much. It's a disconnection of the mind and the spirit uh, that if you are, uh, if your mind is actively engaged and focused on the actual word of god then you have are practicing some sort of cold dead intellectualism but friends unless you understand it with your mind it will not energize or excite your heart your mind has to comprehend the truth before it uh, f- it will physically affect you so do not fall prey to this teaching. It's, it's you, If you'll pay attention to your pastors as you go to church on, every week, listen for these things, because if you're hearing these things, you're hearing a, a, a man teaching you things that are leading you away from the truth of God's Word.
1: Now, I'll, I'll position that a little bit more, but while I'm speaking, Holy Spirit has never been bound... Um, to my permission to move.
0: You heard what he said. Holy Spirit has never been bound by my permission to move.
1: Uh, You know, I have a goal at the end of this thing. I'll probably invite you up if you really feel hungry and you want to touch from God. But Holy Spirit many times does not wait. I don't understand the etiquette has, but I guess he figures it's his church and his family, and he'll do it however he wants to do it. So he's never asked me for permission. So with that said, I like to be aware of how he's moving.
0: Oh, okay. So he doesn't need your permission, but you like to be aware of how he's moving.
1: So if you begin to really feel more uniquely moving, in, through you, on you. You may not have the language, so I'll just use all of the above. If you begin to feel Him touch you, I just want you to stand. And I'm just going to acknowledge what He's doing in your life, and if you want to sit back down, but what that does, that begins to bring you further into a group. You're beginning to acknowledge He is doing something very unique.
0: So, in order for the Holy Spirit to do anything, you have to acknowledge it. And by the way, remember what he said earlier. He said he, is going, he wants to activate this faith in you.
1: Yeah. Now, of course, you don't have to, but I'm asking you to, because I believe God will begin to unlock something. So Acts chapter 4. Great persecution had risen against the people. People begin to go out. Here we have Philip. It says, those who were scattered preached the word everywhere they went. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. And the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs that he performed. Now, what's a sign? It points to something. It points to something. So here he is preaching Christ, and the signs are pointing to him to authenticate that message that he was preaching.
0: So, 13 minutes and 49 seconds into this, he has made two true statements. This being second of the true statements. However, he doubles back on this statement. Let's jump to 1540. 1540 Mark.
1: When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word, they sent, I don't know why I didn't put the whole thing in against space, they sent the apostles down, and when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. I used to read that, I love the whole context, you know, words got back, they received, so now they are going down there to bring something in addition to what they had received. Now, the people were baptized. They believed in Christ. I believe they were fully born again. I believe the Holy Spirit dwelt in them. But I think what was talking about here was the power of the Holy Spirit consuming them.
0: All right. Notice very carefully again right here. He's making a difference and a distinction. He says, I believe they were very much born again. I believe they were very much saved, but they did not have the power They did not have the power. And these are his own words. Let's listen a little bit further.
1: Philip brought a message they believed and received that the apostles' thinking was was different than Philip the evangelist. Philip, he was.
0: Again, the apostles' thinking were different than Philip the evangelist. So, in his estimation, he is stating that the apostles had a different angle to put on the gospel than Philip had.
1: Doing his work, he was doing the context of his anointing, but the apostles had a greater context uh, of the body of Christ, how it would feel. So, Sometimes when things like that happen, especially evangelists, our eyes get fixed on the evangelist and what he's doing. But the apostles had equipping and multiplication and kingdom advancement beyond just being born again. So they're coming down. They're wanting to make little Phillips out of everybody. They're wanting everybody to begin releasing signs and wonders.
0: So the apostles come. They want to make little Phillips out of everybody. They want everybody releasing signs and wonders. We do not see this in the scriptures. We do not see this at all. Inconceivable! You us in the word. I do not think it means what you think it means. I do not think that it means what you think that it means. That's... Uh, Let's listen just a little bit further here in this section. Even
1: the sorcerer had the context right. He wanted to do it too, but he couldn't. He was doing it out of a bad heart. So the apostles come down, and I I would love to have their message transcribed. I would say it goes something like this. Guys, what you have seen, what you have heard, came by the power of the Holy Spirit in Philip. Philip was a man just like all of us, but God anointed him with power. And I think
0: he went. They are saying, amen. They are saying, come on. They are, say, they are in a total agreement with this. But that is not at all what the scripture says. As a matter of fact, there is the passage of scripture that says that it well, actually it is one of Peter's sermons that he is speaking in reference to Christ whom God has anointed. God's anointed one is Christ.
1: You guys have believed in this Jesus. You've believed. You've received baptism in water. You've been born in the newness of life. But God's wanting to take what's on Philip, and he's wanting to put that on you. He's wanting all of you to be filled with the Holy Spirit and power, that all of you, everybody in this new kingdom, they get to release signs and wonders and power among
0: so you heard it. You heard the exact phrase. It's for all believers to do these things. No, it is not. He contradicts his own statement there, talking about earlier that the signs and the wonders pointed to Christ. And now he's retracting that. He's recasting recasting his own vision of what the scriptures say, and it is not the truth.
1: The people, because through those signs and wonders, it's authenticating your new life in Christ. It's authenticating the Christ that was risen from the dead. So, see, they had something even greater.
0: By the way, the the authentication that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God, according to the Scriptures, is not primarily in the signs and wonders that he did, though he did them and they were pointing to him, it is in the fact that he rose from the dead on the third day and that he ever lives to make intercession for us. What he, what Brewer is preaching is a false doctrine. They
1: were already activating them in ministry. They weren't sending them to Bible school. They weren't doing all of those things at that time. They were sending them into the school.
0: Here we have again the diminishment of, of the study of the Scriptures. They wasn't sending them to Bible study. Friends, if we are not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ as it is in the Word of God, we are preaching another gospel. and according to what the Apostle Paul told the church at Galatia, be damned anybody that proclaims another gospel.
1: Of the Spirit. It was going to shift everything in their life. So can't you imagine?
0: So there you hear the word shift used again. Let's jump on ahead just a little bit more so we can get through. We're still not going to get through this entire sermon. Nevertheless, we're going to get as far as we can. Let's jump down to about the 20-minute um, the mark. There we are.
1: I mean, unless we're just all seizure, how do they know? Something had to shift, change, visible here. Something happened. It says, when Simon saw the Spirit was given at the laying on apostles' hands, he offered the money. Forget the money portion. He saw something happen. There was an expression somehow, some way, there was an evidence of the Holy Spirit touching his people. It was practical. It was
0: so let's take a look at the text for just a moment here. And while we do that, I'm going to actually enlarge this. Let's take a look at the book of Galatians. So according to um this Paul's teacher's word, the uh, expression and the demonstration and evidence of the Holy Spirit is that there will be a physical manifestation of power. But let's go to Galatians chapter 5, and let's go to verse 16 to take a look at the actual text itself, to see what the text actually says. So, Paul... The Apostle Paul describes to the church of Galatia what it means uh, to be filled with the Spirit, what it looks like to walk in the power of the Spirit. He also contrasts what it looks like to walk in the power of the Spirit uh, with what it looks like to do contrary to the Spirit of God. And he says this in verse 16, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And then he says, now the works of the flesh are manifest, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, he said, I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice carefully this, the scripture here. Galatians 5, But the fruit of the Spirit... A uh, fruit is what is born of a Christian. The evidence of being born again is that the Christian loves that the Christian has joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. so the plain teaching of the text of scripture here does not in any way resemble. What this man is teaching, what this church proclaims, it does not compare at all. The church, the church's message, the church's teaching, and the church's preaching should align with the scripture. The scriptures should not be maligned or twisted to match the church's perverted, this church's perverted view of the Scripture itself.
1: Evidence there. Let's go to that next slide. So I want to take you out of that story, and I want to take you into a story of Paul. Because we're in the book of Acts, and we're jumping around
0: the book of Acts. So he's jumping around the book of Acts, he says. So let's go to 2205 in the sermon.
1: There are places that have gotten so good at doing church. Even Pentecostal churches. They've gotten so good at doing church. There might not be much of a difference if the Holy Spirit just wasn't there among them on Sunday. Because we've gotten so good at it. I want to live So over my head and beyond my experience that I am in deep trouble if I don't depend on the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's where I want to live. I want to be fully aware if I find myself in a situation where He's not, because I assure you, if Holy Spirit was removed from my life, I would be dead in moments. Because
0: I've confronted way too many demons that would love, love to kill me. I've confronted way, way too many demons that would want to kill me, is what he said. Doing church. Churches have lost their power. I'll say this, churches have lost their power because they have left the word of God itself.
1: So I want to live in that place. Let's jump
0: to 2230.
1: So over my head and beyond my experience that I am in deep trouble if I don't depend on the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's where I want to live. I want to be fully aware if I find myself in a situation where he's not. Because I assure you, if Holy Spirit was removed from my life, I would be dead Mm in moments. I <laughs> they answered, saying, so, We don't know. There is a Holy Spirit. I said, What were you baptized in? I said, John's baptism. So we know what John did. John's baptism was the baptism of repentance, saying that they should believe on the one who is to come, the Messiah who is to come. I want to give you some context to that because we just read through those few statements right there. But what we fail to understand. And that's approximately 20 years after John's baptism. After that. So we don't have the whole story, but these guys are, they hear John preaching.
0: All right. So right there, very important here, <clears throat> whether intentional or unintentional. Understanding proper context, understanding. Uh, the dating of the books of the bible uh is very important because even if you un even if you an ignorant in ignorance in in the true definition of the word ignorance that meaning unintentionally uh misinterpret something not having a correct knowledge of something uh, based on not looking for it um uh even if you do that um Uh, certainly the book of Acts was written probably around the the year uh, in the, I I think it's dated in the 50s, um, uh, AD 50s, uh, maybe a little bit before. Uh, In any case, that would have been 20 years after Christ, but what's being written is not talking about 20 years after Christ. The, the, the account that he is referring to did not take place 20 years after John the Baptist. It didn't take 20, t- take place 20 years after Christ, so he is misapplying uh, uh, the date and, the, and therefore mis- misapplying any principle that he communicates after that.
1: John baptized them, and apparently they were John's disciples, and John sent them out ahead of Jesus, just 22 years ahead. Jesus has now come but they're out in the field they're on the mission field they're they're preaching the Messiah is coming the kingdom is among us he's he's coming he's about to be brought
0: six been months old in Jesus with
1: everything John taught them they had gone out preparing the way for the Messiah that was John's primary message prepare the way prepare the way a forerunner they're saying hey the Messiah is coming for 22 years they were faithful With the message, the Messiah is coming. So now they don't know he has came, died, rose again, and the Spirit of God has been poured out, and the kingdom of God has fully been birthed on earth and is now expanding in all directions. So here's Paul's like, guys, you guys have been faithful. I mean, I can imagine the humility in Paul's heart. These guys, and Paul's like, I'm glad you didn't meet me because I'd have killed you
0: you know but he's
1: been faithful he's honoring them honoring them and then he's bringing them up to the present truth peter spoke to the present truth that you may be established in the present truth they were established in a truth but the truth had matured since
0: then oh my goodness so let's let's jump to um twenty nine the twenty nine minute mark uh just to move through this, and what we're going to not listen very closely to what he says uh again uh this is the common practice of the charismatic movement to disconnect the mind and the spirit which they both go together. We as human beings are created as a dichotomy of body and spirit Uh, soul is used interchangeably with spirit we are dichotomy however the constant and incessant uh, reference to disconnect and anything intellectual is wrong is it's something that you need to flee from if you hear if you hear a, a pastor saying just put your mind in neutral and just uh, feel the spirit flow in the spirit, then you might be hearing uh, false teaching. You need to weigh it very carefully. But here he makes a reference to the fact that he doesn't like he doesn't debate. I just want to demonstrate
1: that you are something now that you were not before. Yeah. That's the drastic shift that takes place. Now, you want me to break that up? I can't. I can only say experience. This is an experiential gospel. It's not an intellectual gospel. It blows our minds, and oftentimes we find ourselves with the inability to express experience in our natural language.
0: A gospel that is not both intellectual and experiential isn't the gospel
1: it's just I can't always have that saying demonstrate don't debate
0: I always have that saying demonstrate don't debate I'm not even going to go there so let's go to the next statement. Um, and notice again, it's always something different. It's always a different angle. It's always a different view.
1: Let me take you into uh, into a different way of looking at something.
0: So, Let me take you into a different way of looking at something.
1: Evidence is the power to be witness. So, let's go to First Corinthians 14, 14. The reason I want to talk about some of this is the whole issue of tongues. People get tore up. One, one camp, everything's tongues. The other camp is it's all demons. And, and, and somewhere, I don't know. People just get it all jacked up, tore up. Every one of y'all speak tongues if you want to, by faith. Right now. There, there's not a further thing that just has to happen.
0: So here, he uh, gives the church permission, everybody just go ahead and speak in tongues, when the scripture clearly prohibits that practice. And he will, of course, double back, contradict, refute God's word, and say what he wants to say. And everybody just nods their heads and amens and come on and all of these things. We ought to amen the word of God. We ought to say come on to the preacher when he's preaching the truth. But when you're getting fed a line of garbage like this, the thing that you should be doing is turning your head and going the other way.
1: you don't get part of Holy Spirit the rest of it, what happens, I believe, at the well, filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, all of those terms come from multiple meaning denominations of how they explain it. I mean, we've got Baptist denominations that literally describe the encounter, the same encounters that Pentecostals describe, and, and they, they explain it with a different language and a different set of scriptures, but when you read the experience... They have the same experience. So I don't get too tore up over that. I just say experience. Experience Holy Spirit and the life changing. Because when that experience happens, you glorify Christ.
0: The experience that this man needs to have and the experience that anyone needs to have if they are going to experience true peace and joy is to be born again. That is what the scriptures say. It is not about a personal experience in your life uh, as far as a, uh, a physical manifestation.
1: In everything that you do, there's a power that's released from it. But I do want to address the tongues for a moment, because sometimes there's four different expressions of tongues in scripture. and
0: False. So what he's going to do is he's going to go on and uh, demonstrate, um, well, I'm sorry, Uh, he's going to go on and say, without actually demonstrating it from the text itself, that there are four expressions of of, uh, uh, tongues in Scripture. Those expressions uh, are unknown tongues, known tongues, um prayer language and some other one I don't know what it is but uh, I- I- in any case uh, what it all boils down to is this when you go to the scripture you can go from the Old Testament to the New Testament and every time you see the word tongues used let's say for example that you just want we we just want to... Um, look at it. uh, We'll just look at it from a New Testament perspective. We'll just type in tongues. I'm using blue letter Bible. Um, So you type in the word tongues. And so we see that um, the actual, in the ESV, uh, the word uh, tongues occurs 33 times in 31 verses. And we see from the uh, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there are other examples as well in other versions. If you look at the King James, uh, you'll see that word used. But let's just say we go to the Old Testament for a moment. We'll go to the interlinear so that we look at what the Hebrew says uh, concerning the word tongues. Now, in uh, the uh, if if you're not aware, uh, the uh, the Old Testament was translated into, uh, which is Hebrew, is translated into Greek. And that version of the Old Testament that's been translated into Greek is called the Septuagint. It is the Greek version of the Old Testament. So in the Septuagint, when we see the word tongues, we see these words, uh, we see this word mentioned, uh, Laison. Uh, in the uh, Greek, that word is translated as Glossa. So let's let's go back to that so that we can demonstrate that from the text of Scripture. So we'll go to the New Testament and we'll see uh, in the uh, actually, we'll go to the uh, to the book of Acts. So when we go to the book of Acts, we'll go to interlinear, and we see the word tongues there in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, it, it's the word glossa, and that word glossa is the same exact word that is used from front to back in the Bible itself. It is the same exact word, glossa, and what that is. Uh, In in true context here, it is the language or dialect used by particular people distinct from that of other nations. It is a literal language. It is the known language. In the Old Testament, when God... Confound! When God punished His people for going off into sin, He sent them to Babylon. In Isaiah, it talks about how that He will put them in the midst of a people uh, that speak different tongues, a different language. It's not a, a blessing. It's not... Uh, something to be practiced. Uh, In the Old Testament, it is a judgment. In the New Testament, it was the mode of communicating the gospel to men and women who were not able to understand in their own language. It is not in any place, uh, in any spot in the scriptures, Old or New Testament, a prayer language. It's not a secret language. So notice that as we go back, to the sermon here.
1: When we're thinking one way, but it's been expressed differently, we kind of go, that's wrong. I want to get away from that. But then we see it expressed this way, we're like, I don't like that either. I just like it this way. But there's actually four different tongues that's that's explained in Scripture. So first Corinthians 14 14.
0: All right, so we've demonstrated that there are not four different types of tongues. Glossa is the word used for tongue throughout uh in the Greek in the Greek Septuagint, the old the Greek version of the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament, the word is exactly the same and the meaning does not change in any whit. So let's see what he's got to say here. Wow. Yeah, so this is going to be just a a about minute minute and ten second long clip. Uh, notice what he says, and what he's going to do he's going to say that basically scripture is beholden uh to experience is what he's going to say in this in this short clip
1: because sometimes there there's four different expressions of tongues in scripture, and when we're thinking one way, but it's been expressed differently we kind of go, go wrong. But then we see it expressed this way. We're like, I don't like that either. I just like it this way. He calls me, he's like, Mike. I was praying for these guys that's trying to get me kicked out of my church. And while I was praying with them, I felt an overwhelming, compassionate love me for them. And the next thing I know, I am praying in a language that I couldn't understand. And praise God for that. Now let's look at these scriptures. And he's like, yeah, I never saw it that way. Never saw. So so." that's why you can't always explain. This is a realm of faith that we step into. After the experience, he's like, oh, man, I get it now. But before, he would look at it, like, I don't understand that. Because you can't. When you, when you literally walk up to a tomb and there was a dead man there and you walk up again and the dude's standing there, you can't get it in your intellectual mind. Jesus was risen from the dead. He was dead and he got up. That can't be explained intellectually and that's the foundation of our entire gospel.
0: Do you see how sprinkling in bits of truth throughout A sermon full of sewage spilled out makes everybody happy. This is in truth. An affirmation of the text in Scripture where Paul warned young Timothy to preach the word. To be in sin, instant in season and to be instant out of season. To prove, to rebuke, to exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. What the scriptures teach is what needs to be taught.
1: The whole gospel, everything. So now he's like, my mind didn't get it, but I
0: do. Yeah. Experience over scripture. My mind didn't get it but I do. Can you logically explain that? What kind of sense does that make? My mind doesn't get it, but I do. You're not going to understand anything unless your mind understands it. Good night, people. What's wrong with you people? I'm serious. Let's go on. We're at a minute and two. We're going to try to do just a little bit more.
1: What's he talking about? The spirit man is beginning to be awakened within him. So what shall I do? I'll pray with the spirit. Basically saying I'll pray in the spirit where my mind doesn't understand. And I will pray when my mind does understand. That's what he's saying right here. He's like, I'm going to pray in a language I've never known, and I'm also going to pray in a language that I can understand.
0: So what? Did you hear them? Wow! I'm going to. pray. He's. <clears throat> what
1: shall I do? I'm going to do both now. I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit. I will sing with my understanding. The reason he's contrasting, because he is making it abundantly clear, he is going to sing with understanding, and he's going to sing where there's not understanding, he said, in the Spirit. That's
0: the... <laughs> there's a term for this, and that term is asinine. He just completely twisted the Scripture The scripture is communicating the importance of understanding with your mind so that you can rightfully worship God.
1: Context of that. When he's saying in the spirit or with my spirit, he's talking about in a spiritual language you never learned in the natural mind.
0: Eisegesis, eisegesis, eisegesis. He's reading into the text something that is not there. i do both now. Go
1: to that next slide. Let's just drop down to verse 17 because I'll be on this a long time. You're giving things as well enough. well enough.
0: But... All right. Let's go to
1: 37. Then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you have a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, interpretation. Everything's got to be done so that the church may be built up. So he's, he's saying paramount when the church comes together is the equipping of the body, the building up of the household of God. If anyone speaks in a tongue or two, three at the most, One at a time, someone must interpret. Now we're starting to see something shift here. Earlier we was talking about when he prayed. I'll pray with my understanding, I'll pray without it. Now he's talking about when you're all together so that the church may be built up. If one or two or even three people speak in tongues aloud in the church. So basically if we were sitting here and somebody just starts coming out in tongues, Holy Spirit would put that in order with us. That's the context he's saying there must be an interpretation. Now, what? inconceivable? You keep in that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. How would they know if there's an interpreter? There must be some relationship there, some understanding of the unique giftness, giftedness in that body. So that's telling me it's not just an outsider walks in. You know, because see, in the context of that day, and in sorcery and witchcraft, they pray in tongues all the time by the power of demons. I have to tell them stop. Often.
0: Hold on. Let's let's hear that again.
1: Okay. So that's an outsider walks in. You know, because see, in the context of that day, and in sorcery and witchcraft, they pray in tongues all the time by the power of demons. I have to tell them stop.
0: By his own testimony, again, uh, talk about shooting yourself in the foot. Talking in tongues is common in witchcraft and sorcery and demons. I have to tell them to stop all the time. By your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. I don't know if I can go on much further. Uh one more little clip, and then we're going to stop right here. Um.
1: Often. Okay, so it's that's, that's a common practice in, in that, that realm. Okay. So he shifted from prayer language, praying and singing in the Spirit, to if the bodies gather together and one, two, or three speak aloud, addressing the church in tongues, that's when we need an interpreter. If there's not one, don't do it. What he doesn't say is crucify the one that stood up and spoke in tongues. Okay, give some grace. Give some grace. If if I'm doing it, usually if I'm there, I'll interpret. If other but if if there's a place and somebody speaks in tongues and there's no interpreter, it's not the end of the world. God's not angry. It's an opportunity to, to say, Hey, there just wasn't anyone here to interpret that. So praise God for that. Maybe He'll send somebody to us to interpret it.
0: All right. So on that statement, I'll close with this. Uh, basically, the careless and the frivolous attitude about worship and the things that take place in worship, uh, as a matter of fact, which God clearly addressed in the passages that he's trying to teach from, uh, God's, the, the Word of God says, let everything be done decently and in order. It doesn't mean it's cold and dead and dry and emotionless, but what it does mean is this that when you get your flesh gets carried away and you are disconnected mentally from the truth of God's Word, that will inevitably always lead you It will always lead you into heresy and that this and i say this unashamedly this is heresy what's being taught and those who are who are subjecting their friends and their families to this those adults who are subjecting their children to this and raising their children up in this are leading their children away from the truth Of the scriptures themselves. One hour and 10 minutes, and we got a little over halfway through it, but that's all that we can do. So I hope that you will take the time to consider carefully all that has been communicated in this video to you. I hope that if you're watching this and you are in a church, where this kind of heresy is being taught on the regular, that you will leave that church and that you will find a church that teaches and preaches the scriptures as they are to men as they are. Thanks again for your time, and here's the copyright disclaimer.